Well, one of the things I think that Christmas brings about this season is a time of waiting. And sometimes it's hard waiting even for good things, right? I mean, uh, the boys, are, or I've got one of them specifically who is <clears throat> counting down in his head. And so every day he comes and gives me their updated report of how many days left it is. And when he talked about the other day, 14 days, like, Dad, that's forever, right? Some things are just hard to wait for, right? It's waiting sometimes for the birth of a child and, and this excitement, waiting for the new start of a relationship or maybe the day of your marriage. There's just some things that are exciting and hard to wait for. But there's also a part of waiting that's also challenging. Challenging moments of having to wait, right? I mean, you're wondering and waiting, when will the coronavirus get better? You wonder and wait, will there be a day when I don't have to maybe wear these masks anymore? You're wondering, maybe there's just some waiting and some challenges to faith in the midst of waiting, wondering, when will this person ever get better? Or will they ever get better? You wonder, like in the midst of just some challenges right now to your faith, you're waiting Will this relationship ever get healed? Maybe you're waiting today because depression or anxiety and those different emotional struggles that are going on internally, you just keep wondering, God, when will this ever get better? Some things are just challenging. The reality is, in Matthew's Gospels, we've been making our way through it, the people are waiting. right? They're waiting for an example of like, what does great faith look like? Because the reality is there's these religious leaders known as Pharisees and scribes and they should be at the front of the line with Jesus. But the reality is they're not even in the line at all. And then we see Jesus' own disciples. We think surely it'll be these guys. They're walking with him, hearing him, hearing him teach about the miracles, even behind the scenes, the meaning of parables. And yet we saw just a couple weeks ago in Matthew 14, as Jesus walked on the water and got on the boat, he says to them, Oh, you of little what? Faith. I mean, he's just been in trying to encourage them. If you even have the faith of a mustard, what? A mustard seed. You could tell this mountain, go and it'll go and throw itself into the sea. But we have to wonder, Matthew, when will we see a moment of great faith? Because we all ultimately want to know that question. Question, what is great faith? And maybe even more importantly, do I have it? Today, that's the kind of the question we're wrestling with as we come to this text. And the temptation can be to maybe think, well, in suffering and delay and maybe being an outsider, an outcast, that that might make you an outsider to the faith. But the truth is today's today's text is going to remind all of us that great faith rests in a great Savior. Great faith, it rests in a great Savior Matthew's going to share with us that great faith hopes in, pursues, and believes in a great Savior. Again, hear that. Today, Matthew's going to show us that great faith, it hopes in, pursues, and believes in a great Savior. So today, if you have your copy of God's Word, I encourage you to turn there with us as we begin in the 21st verse of Matthew 15, hearing this first truth. Great faith hopes in a great Savior. Great faith hopes in a great Savior. And it says, and Jesus went away from there. All right, remember, Jesus had just been teaching about what makes people clean. And then the religious leaders were saying, well, you have to wash your hands and do all these different protocols. That's what made you clean. And Jesus says, actually, it's not those things that make you clean. What makes you clean before God is your heart. And so Jesus leaves there, right? Maybe a little sabbatical, so to speak. He's stepping away, a little vacation time. But there comes a quick interruption. 
Verse 21 says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. As we look here, this idea of the district of Tyre and Sidon, this is has a pretty epic past. I mean, in fact, um, we know, right, she's a Canaanite woman, right? We know about the land of Canaan. Mark calls her in the seventh, his seventh chapter telling the same story. He calls her the Syrophoenician woman, right? This reminds us this Canaanite, this Syrophoenician, this district of Tyre and Sidon has a pretty epic background, a pretty bad one. I don't know what kind of family you grew up in and maybe what you're hoping is some skeletons in the closet that will stay in the closet. But this lady has a lot of skeletons in the closet. She has a lot of bad background and bad baggage that's coming with her. I mean, think about this just to get your mind wrapped around it. First Kings chapter 16 tells the story of this queen over the God's people, right? Her name is Jezebel. And her husband is the king, and he's Ahab, right? And he's evil, and, and she herself moves him to worship this false god, Baal. And not only that, in First Kings, right, we see this woman pursuing one of God's greatest messengers of all time, the prophet Elijah. She wants that guy dead. Guess what? First Kings 16 tells us that Jezebel was the daughter of the Sidonian king, this very land here from which this lady is from. So this lady immediately reminds us this is an enemy of God's people. She has, again, a land of great darkness from which she comes. But as again, as Brother Todd, as we were reminding ourselves, looking here to Christ coming, guess what? That's exactly what the prophet Isaiah was doing in 600 B.C. Listen to his words, beginning in verse 1 of Isaiah 9. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations or Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a what? A great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has a light shone. That's shocking. On those people, those who walking in darkness this is a reminder today, this today of Matthew 15, 21 to 28, is a light shining moment. It is a moment that points us to the greatness of our Savior. Yes, there is great faith here, but beloved, do not miss the heart of this text is a great Savior. This is why Christ came, to bring all people in. It's the hope of the gospel. It says that God goes to the darkest and the dirtiest of places. God goes to you and I who maybe feel like we're the most unclean or the most unqualified. Maybe you feel the least deserving person in this place today. I want you to hear and see the beauty of the gospel. Christ comes to you. It's the hope of the gospel. So listen to what this, this Canaanite woman, this woman from Tyre and Sidon, listen to what she says. Get in verse 22 here of Matthew 15. She came crying out to Jesus, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Let's deal with those just for a moment here of what's this lady saying to him. First, she says, Have mercy on me. She says, I, I have no claim to what I'm asking. And in fact, Jesus, you're full and I'm empty. I, I don't have a claim. I don't have like a right. I, I don't like, I can't put your hand behind your back and make you say, Uncle. I can't, right? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot, and like overcome you. Like, I just don't have a, I don't have any kind of plea with you in that way. I don't have any kind of authority to come to you. 
but I come appealing for your mercy, right? Because I know that you're the only one who's truly able to help my daughter who is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, listen, we, we don't encounter a lot of that, or at least we don't talk about it a lot in our culture, but demon possession for this culture and world was something they knew well and they spoke of. It was often throughout the Gospels, those who were demon-possessed were those who would cut themselves and they would cry out, often trying to hurt themselves. The demon would move them at times, trying to throw themselves in the fire. Even at other times, they would try to hurt others. This mother is coming and crying out, Have mercy on me, because when my baby hurts, I hurt. Lord, I need mercy. We know that you are a good Savior. We know that you're able. Have mercy. Then look what she says to him second time here. She says to him, Oh Lord. Three times in this text she speaks of him as Lord. Verse 22, verse 25, and verse 27. She's saying, Listen, I know who you are. You have authority. You have power. I acknowledge your authority over me. Like I'm, I'm coming in submission. That Lord, that term, Oh Lord, is a term of submission, of humility. Right? I mean, let's be honest. As we strive to understand the faith, I think it's important for us to see both of these at work, right? This statement of have mercy and oh Lord, right? I mean, we love the fact that Jesus is this merciful Savior, that he's a God who's willing to show grace. So we love the fact that he is Savior. But beloved, if you want to understand faith, it's not just that he's Savior, he's also Lord. He's Savior and Lord. He's not Savior or Lord. He's not Lord or Savior. He's Savior and Lord. Think about this. In Luke chapter 19, it's one of our favorite stories, right? I mean, this wee little man was he, climbs up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. What was that guy's name? You know? Zacchaeus. You know him. Yeah, you know him. Zacchaeus has this encounter in Luke 19 with Jesus, and he says this amazing statement. I love it. It's in verse 8 of Luke 19. Here and now, Lord, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times as much. Remember, this guy's a tax collector, a chief one. He's rich. He's cheated all kinds of people. He's made his wealth on the backs of the poor. But when he encounters the one who he acknowledges is, have mercy on me, Lord, everything changes. He submits saying, my life is in submission to you. Even my wealth is in submission to you. And listen to Jesus' response. It's it's instructive to us as we understand this idea of Savior and Lord. Jesus says back after he says this statement, have mercy on me, O Lord, half my possessions, I'll pay back what I've done wrong. He says, I tell you the truth, today salvation has come to this house. For this man too is a son of Abraham. What's he saying to us? Jesus says salvation is found as you come acknowledging me as both Lord and Savior. Right? He acknowledges salvation has come. And so the question is, well, then how do I come to experience him as Lord and Savior? Did you hear what he said at the end? For this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Who is Abraham? He's the father of the what? Faith. So you come to Jesus not by works, but by faith. It's faith, acknowledging him as Lord and Savior. It is a coming to him, crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me, O Lord. It's a humble submission. As you come to Christ, there is hearing Christ say to you, if anyone would come after me, let him deny his cross 
daily. Take up that cross and follow me. It's this idea of humility, of submission, of Jesus as Savior and Lord. So again, if you're wondering, what is great faith? I think this lady is showing us what this great faith is. Third, look what her third title is. So again, we have three titles she's using. Have mercy on me, appealing to him as Savior. Oh Lord, his Lordship, right? And third and last, she calls him the Son of David. That's interesting, right? I mean, like, how is this guy who's a thousand plus years after David, a son of David. But in fact, that's how Matthew opens his gospel. In Matthew chapter 1, beginning there, and he starts in this genealogy and moves to Jesus' birth, he says this statement, this is my gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The question we have to wonder is, like, how does she know who the son of David is? Right? Like, I mean, how does she know that he's the son of David? And and, and before we wrestle with that, I, I think... For a moment, we've got to wonder, right, with this. I think the Jews of that day would have to be exploding in their minds. Will Jesus, a true son of David, show grace and mercy to the undeserving Gentiles? That's what's happening in this text. There's a tension in this text. Is God willing to welcome outsiders? Is God willing to welcome in the unclean, the undeserving that's the question here as the son of David because he's the promised Messiah for, the, for God's people. The question is, if he's the son of David for them, does that mean that they can become God's people too? But we ask that question again. How does this Canaanite woman, this woman from the other side of the, of, of the block, so to speak, how does she have all of this right theology? How does she understand who Jesus is? And the question, the reality is we don't know the answer to that. But I think maybe two things are plausible. Number one, someone had shared Jesus with her. I I don't know how she heard about the stories about Jesus. I don't know how she hears that he's actually merciful. I I don't know how she hears about the fact that he's Lord. He's the son of David. We're not sure of all the background of this text. But might it be an encouragement to you and I that we just need to be faithful to share the gospel? We don't often know, right, even in our fumbling of our telling and like that was terrible or that'll never make a difference. We don't know what God will do with your and my best efforts that often seem like they derail and crash and burn. We don't have any clue. But the truth is somehow this lady had heard about Jesus. I wonder, would she have heard about him from you or I? I wonder this week, who, who heard about Jesus because of you? Secondly, not only I think the reality of how did she come to this place, I think not only does it come through someone sharing with her, I think she had a great master, evidently, a great teacher. Now, now listen, the master teacher that she had is not one that any of us here want. In fact, we all run from him when we hear his name. But nonetheless, she has him. Her teacher's name? It's probably the same teacher you've had at some point, suffering. You ever suffered? You ever struggled? You ever gone through hardships? Suffering has a way of becoming one of our greatest teachers. Suffering has a way of humbling you and I to get past all of our rituals and religious practices just to realize we need mercy. We need the Lord. We need rescue. We need deliverance. So listen, I'll be really honest with you. I don't do suffering very well. There's some of you in this congregation, some that have already passed on and gone before us in the congregation, who have left a great way for us to follow of how you suffer and die well. Amen? It's a reminder again why we desperately need the church, because we need faithful saints, young and old, who have suffered and are suffering and yet remain faithful. 
And I want to praise God for those examples. It's a reminder again of why we, my own soul needs the church, why you need the church. It's because we see other brothers and sisters remain faithful in suffering. So I don't, I don't do this well, but might today in the midst of your suffering, instead of despising it, what if you just ask God, what do you want to show me about Jesus in the midst of this? How might I encounter Christ in the midst of my suffering? Instead of just thinking, how do I quickly get out of this season and get back better? And again, I know we all want that. I get it. Listen, I'm I'm saying I don't do this well. But doesn't she show us an example of what we do in the midst of suffering? We run to Christ, not away from him. That we might experience something that's suffering that we might not any other way. This is a great moment, right? I mean, again, you're asking the question, what is great faith? And do I have it? This lady is showing us the first example that great faith hopes in a great Savior. Secondly, we come to this truth. Great faith pursues a great Savior. Right? We might hear this story and think, right? I mean, it depends on how well you know the story. But you might hear this and think, well, she cries out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And Jesus immediately says, You're right, sister. Thank you for coming to me. Your daughter's healed. Now go on your way. But that's not at all what happens. This text gets challenging. It gets messy. This is probably not a story that you're likely to see in Veggie Tales. I'm just being honest with you. This is hard. This is not the Jesus that we so often talk about or know. But listen to what happens here, the reality of the story. Verse 23 is a super hard text, and I want you to brace yourself to hear it. But he did not answer her a word. I think it would be important for our own souls this morning. Maybe we just all just vocalize that statement together. Let's just say it out loud together. But he did not answer her a word. You ever been there? When God keeps quiet? Right, I mean, maybe the illustration of a vending machine might be helpful. You ever put your prayer quarters in? To God is that vending machine? You you quote your Bible verses. You put the money in the machine, so to speak. You praise your prayer. And nothing happens. You ever in those moments want to give that machine a little love tap, right? You, you like look around, like anybody around here, like pow, right? Like, come on, dude, I want the little Debbie. You ever been there? I, I think, let's be honest, we all kind of have that tendency with God, don't we? I mean, I don't know about you, but I do. Like, God, I'm praying. God, I, I'm crying out to you. God, I'm humbling myself. When are you going to answer? Like, come on, God. We all struggle with that name it and claim it like, surely, God, I've done the right thing. I put my quarter in there. I prayed, right? I've gone to church. I've read my Bible. I've done this or that. Surely now, God, you're going to answer. But just like this woman, the reality is you and I experience moments when God does not answer us with a word. Those are hard moments. Maybe today you're dealing with some sense of silence from God. Maybe it's about the marriage that you had hoped would have already been better by now. Maybe it's the sick person in your family that you're praying, surely they will be well by now. But what do you do when you ask God and nothing seems to come out or not the way that you want it? The temptation can be to close up shop and say, I'm done with a God like that. I'll find another vending machine. But this sister compels us. Keep the faith. Don't stop pursuing. Don't give up yet. It's just this epic moment because I would be so frustrated and say, you're not going to answer me? I'm out. But that's not who 
she is, and that's not what she does. And remember, beloved, Jesus is going to say, this woman has great faith. You and I need to put our listening ears on and say, what's going to happen here? Watch what happens. His disciples come and beg him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. Dude, tell her to go home already. When is she going to shut up? You ever feel like that with people? Oh, we're the church. I'm sorry. I forgot. Yeah, no, no, of course not. Right? We all have those moments, don't we? The disciples are like, just get her out here already. And then this statement, verse 24, he answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The great African-American pastor, Dr. Robert Smith Jr., says about this passage that this woman had three problems. Number one, she has the wrong face. She's a pagan and she's a Canaanite woman. Secondly, she has the wrong race, right? I mean, she is a Gentile. Thirdly, she is from the wrong place. She is from outside the promised land, right? So she's got the wrong face, the wrong race, and she is from the wrong place. And yet, despite that, beloved, if you'll just hang on just a few more moments, you're going to see the greatness of our Savior. That no one here is disqualified. Listen, maybe this is helpful to think about this illustration, right? Every passage, as you read the Bible, finds itself somewhere between the beginning and book, the book of Genesis, right, the book of beginnings, and the book of Revelation. Every passage you read in the Bible, all 66 books, finds itself somewhere along that scale. So maybe just for a moment, just think about it maybe like this, this play that you're watching. And Act 1 takes place in Genesis 12, maybe, as you think about it, where God makes this promise to this man of name Abram, who becomes named Abraham, and he, he says, listen, I'm going to make of you who have no children a great nation. And through you, all the nations on earth will be blessed. Right? And so now we see God making this great nation of the people of Israel. And we see all their struggles. And then we come to act two of the play. It's when Jesus shows up and he says, listen, as he's going to tell us here in a moment, that I, I've come just for the lost sheep of Israel. That's, that's who I've come for first. And then as we come, Acts 3 is this moment, like as we hear Jesus in Matthew 28, as he closes out Matthew's gospel saying, go and make disciples of all nations. We see it in Acts 2 as the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes and fills God's people and they begin to make their way out to the nations. But the challenge is, as you think about this play, is this lady should be an Act 3 lady. But now here she comes in the middle of Act 2 like, hold up, hold up, it's me. Can you imagine you're watching the play? You're like, hold up, you're not in this scene. That's what the Jewish people, that's what the disciples are saying. You're not in this scene yet. This is Act 2. Yeah, you'll you'll be in, but you're not in until Act 3. But the truth is, guess what? She has some great examples of people who showed up, who were Act 3 people, who showed up up all the way back in Act 1. Right? Think about Rahab the prostitute. That's an outcast. And there she is in Act 1, a part of God's people. Think about Ruth the Moabitess, right? I mean, she is an outcast. She's an Act 3 lady. But by faith, she enters up in Act 1 and becomes this great-grandmother of King David. The point is, listen... Some of us get lost and confused thinking that people don't fit until the certain act when we think they should. And God accepts whosoever will may come. He says today is the day of salvation. Now is your time. Some of you are thinking once I get to act three of my life, then I'll be ready to follow Christ. Once I get things in my home ready, once I get married, once I have kids, once I get a job, once I settle down, like once I get retired, then... No, today, here, now. This text reminds us of the urgency of responding to Christ now, here. 
Would you today in this place come confessing Him as Savior and Lord? Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be what? Open to you. Listen to the hope of this text. He answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That, that's who I came for first. This is act two. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. That's an act of worship. Notice what she does here. She comes and she kneels, right? It's, a, it's an act of humility, an act of submission when she says, Lord, help me. Now, you, you may think, well, Lord, help me. That's a pretty short prayer. Like, but have you ever been struggling? You ever been in a place of desperation? You, have you ever had a moment in your life where God was silent and you just didn't know what to do? Sometimes I'll be honest with you. Three words can feel like the longest monologue. You been with me? Well, you just have those moments of weakness and desperation and you, you just cry out, Lord, help me. And the question is this. For the Jewish readers of that day, for the disciples, they have to wonder why. Because we just heard just a previous chapter in Matthew 14 that Peter, as he was sinking, he cried out, Lord, save me. And we all expected Jesus to save Peter and help him because that's Peter after all. But now we wonder, will he save this woman? And the point is, some of you don't identify very much with Peter, but you identify a lot with this lady because of things you've done and places you've been. And you wonder if you cried out, Lord, help me, would he actually do it? This answer's coming. It's amazing. Lord, help me. What a statement. I want to encourage you today. I don't know what you're waiting on for God to answer, to open that door, to heal that person, to restore that relationship, to give you wisdom, to raise you up out of the valley of depression. Might today this great woman of faith remind you to begin worshiping even before the answer comes? Doesn't that what she does? The answer hasn't come, and she comes and kneels and worships. Today, before the healing comes, before the answer comes, before things change, today, might you come and worship? What an example of her, this heartfelt, desperate prayer. Might we hear from this sister again, the old hymn anew, I may have doubts and fears, my eyes be filled with tears, but Jesus is a friend who watches day and what? He's watching. I go to him in prayer. He knows my every care. And just a little talk with Jesus, what? Makes it right. Our sister's singing the song to us, beloved. Long before it was even written, she's singing. Just a little talk with Jesus. It'll, it'll make it right. Don't, don't lose hope. Don't, go, don't, don't throw in the towel yet. Don't walk away. This is a moment, again, of great faith. Great faith. Yes, it, 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 it hopes in a great Savior. Yes, great faith. It pursues a great Savior. Third and last, great faith believes in a great Savior. Great faith believes in a great Savior. Verse 23 was hard. The Lord didn't answer. It was hard the second time the Lord says, well, I was sent first to the lost sheep of Israel. This is now number three, and this is... Difficult. And he answers, verse 26 of Matthew 15. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I'm going to tell you that this passage right here is extremely difficult because when you study commentators, they're all trying to figure out a way to soften what Jesus has just said because that's how hard it is. He does use the unique word for dogs, right? In the original language, it indicates little dog. As if like somehow it's like better to be called a house dog than a coyote, right? I mean, the reality is that's what he says. 
right? That was the terminology used for the unclean. Jesus uses this word. And let's be honest, like this, this is hard. But, but if you're the Jewish people, that's exactly what you think, right? I mean, like, you, you must assume the disciples and the Jewish audience, again, Matthew writes to a Jewish audience, that there may be this little chant I wrote down. That's our Savior. That's our God. Yes, yes, yes. That's our Savior. That's our God. Yes, yes, yes. Because he's done exactly what they think he should do. He shouldn't answer them. He should tell them, hey, it's about the lost sheep of Israel. And now he should say, yeah, but listen, this is not about the dogs. They think that's exactly who their God is. And let's be honest. What they're getting ready to do happen in a moment, their view of God's getting ready to be shattered, how big their God is. But the reality is for us, we also need to have our view of God to realize he's a lot bigger than we think. I mean, let's be honest. Like, we have a view of Jesus so often, like he's the Mr. Rogers Jesus, don't we? Like, we have him there doing his shoe and won't you be my neighbor? This isn't that passage. He's not answered. He said, I was sent first for the lost sheep of Israel. And now third, he's telling them, you're a dog. Beloved, our view of God must accord with the scriptures. This is hard. God doesn't always fit in our little boxes and our ideology of who God is and what he should do. Again, this is probably not the story you're going to hear on Veggie Tales. This is hard, right? Like, Come on, Lord. Yet never, listen to this, yet never let God not doing what we think he should do keep you from pursuing and even believing in Christ as Lord and Savior. Never let God not doing what you think he should do keep you from pursuing and believing in Christ as Lord and Savior. Two things, though, that I think she believes in the midst of this. Remember that statement, great faith believes in a great Savior. Listen to what she says in response to him. This is absolutely this will humble you, this text here. Because I'm assuming by this point, if God hasn't answered you, and he says, well, I'm sorry, it's not your time. And then third, he says to you, listen, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. For many of us, we're like, done. I'm done with a God like that. Some of you have been there. Because of what God has not done or how he's answered or how things have gone, there's that temptation to close up shop and say, I'm done. This lady's humility is absolutely amazing to me because it looks so much unlike me. I think, whoa! She says, verse 27, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She says, yes, Lord. You're right. I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving of your mercy. You see, beloved, when we say great faith believes the truth, it believes the truth about ourselves. We're not worthy. We're not fitting. We're not qualified. But secondly, look what else it says here. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Faith believes what's right about ourselves, yes. But even more so, faith believes what's right about God. So faith believes what's right about ourselves. Yes, Lord, I'm guilty. I am dirty. I'm unclean. I'm not qualified to be called your child. I'm not. But Lord, I know who you are. 
I know that you are the merciful and gracious God. I know that you are not tight-fisted with your mercy, but you are open-handed. You love to give. I know, God, this lady says to us, listen, she may not know everything there is to know about grace. She doesn't know all that's going to come in the rest of the New Testament to teach us about grace. But maybe she has this to teach us. That whatever you and I get from God, we don't get it because we've earned or deserved it. We get from God because He is merciful and gracious. Hallelujah. What a moment she's teaching us. She's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She is saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. That's grace. That's mercy. That's our faith, beloved. It's not your works. Come on. It's not because you came here this morning. You're going to give an offering. You're going to sing enough songs. You're going to pray enough prayers. You read your Bible enough this week. You told enough people about Jesus. No. It is always faith in the Son of God that will honor and glorify God. That's what pleases Him. These other things are just an expression of our love, our response to being received for what we've not earned or deserved. She's just asking for grace. And here's the good news to her and to I and to you and to me. Jesus has so much grace and mercy that even His crumbs are sufficient. Are you with me? Jesus, this is the God whom you're trusting your lives. This is the God whom you're trusting your children to, your grandchildren to. This is the God whom you worship, beloved, that His grace and mercy is so much that even His crumbs are sufficient. Let the church say amen. Man, amen. Verse 28, what we've been waiting for, and this again is the moment, right? The Jewish people reading this, the disciples, everything that's happened at this point, check, 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 check. What's happening at this point, all the outsiders, the Gentiles, they're thinking, that's exactly why I don't worship a God like that. He won't answer. It's not about us. It's even calling us dogs. And guess what's going to happen in this first moment of verse 28? Both of their visions of God are going to be exploded. Guys, our vision of a big God is just not big enough. Listen to this. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, say it with me, church. Great is your faith. We've been waiting 15 chapters, and it's this woman that has great faith. Let it be a reminder, great faith doesn't come where we think it should come from. It doesn't always fit where we think it should fit. This is great faith. A woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And it says, and her daughter was healed instantly. What a moment. And the land of the unclean comes from God's own lips. Great is your faith. What a moment of hope, a moment of grace, a moment of mercy. Listen, yes, this is great faith, but beloved, I want you to walk away saying even more today, that's a great Savior. That's a great Savior. I'll never, I mentioned him earlier, Dr. Robert Smith Jr. I'll never hear, forget hearing him say this moment. I was listening to him preach. I think was, one time Brother Todd and I were together just hearing him preach. He said this statement, God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. This lady's experienced three delays. Three. I don't know about you. I, I grow frustrated. Like you're in the airport, right? And you look up and you're waiting on your flight and it says delay. 
And it says delay again. And after a little bit, you're wondering, can we just take another flight and get where we're going? Beloved, I want to remind you from the lips of our own Savior, there's only one way to get to where you need to go. And He is the way, the truth, and the life. So even if He says to you, delay, 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 keep waiting on that flight. Are you with me? Keep the faith. Keep trusting. Keep hoping. He will come and answer Now listen, I don't want you to be confused today of seeing this woman get answered and think, well, of course then God's going to answer the way I think He should. I just got to keep after it. The truth is, in 2 Corinthians 12, one of the greatest men of God to ever live, the great Apostle Paul, pleaded with the Lord three times to take the thorn in the flesh away. And God's answer back was, no, my grace is sufficient. So beloved... As we look to God to answer, the reality is God will indeed answer. And He may bring the healing and the, what you desire, but He also may say, my answer is my grace is sufficient for you. First and foremost, to those of you who are not in Christ, today I pray that you have seen the greatness of a great Savior. That He is willing to welcome you in No matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, no matter how dirty or unclean you feel or seem or everybody thinks there's no way that person could come in, this story says to us, the God of the Bible welcomes whosoever will. Might you come today crying out, Jesus, I confess you as my Savior, have mercy, grace. And I acknowledge you, I humbly bow my knee to you as the Lord of my life. Today, is there some of you that need to come confessing Him as Savior and Lord? To, to you who are already in Christ, let this story be a reminder that faith knows and lives the truth. I mean, this lady knew this, all right? She had heard about it some way, but guess what? Her feet began to move, right? Her voice began to cry out. She acted upon what she knew. And listen, guys, as we begin to look forward to running our buses and bringing our kids in here, I, I want to say this with tenderness, but I want to be honest and upfront. I think there's a danger for us that as we begin to run buses, we begin to welcome others into this place. The temptation can be we think we have earned and deserve a seat at the table and they can find a seat on the floor. This text says to each and every one of us, none of us deserve a seat at the table. We all come to the table by grace and by mercy. That's not the heart of God's people to say, I deserve a seat and you sit on the floor. So, beloved, let this prepare our hearts for what God's doing, for what he's preparing us for. Let this be an example of that's the kind of faith followers of Christ have. Might it be that statement, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Finally, the story reminds us that we keep believing even when God is silent because we know that He is a great Savior. Beloved, be sure of this. God will speak. How do we know? Because on that Friday on the cross, there at Calvary, we know that our God will speak, right? Because on that day, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of David, cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God is silent. So much so that the sun itself begins to protest. It hangs up an out-of-order sign, and from noon to 3 p.m., there's darkness over the land. But God remained silent. The earth itself began to protest. 
rocking and reeling like an inebriated man back and forth. The earth protesting, but God remained silent. There on the cross, as the Son of God dies, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, cries out, Truly this must be the Son of God. But God remains silent. Saturday morning, Jesus is on the tomb, in the tomb and God still remains silent. Saturday evening, God still remains silent. But on Sunday morning, on a morning, Sunday morning, like we gather here, by the power of God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ came forth from the dead. God speaking, saying, I have conquered death. I have conquered sin. It's the hope of the gospel. So, beloved, I compel you today, because He lives, you can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because He lives, you and I in this church can face the future. We know that life is worth the living. Just what, church? Because He lives. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, now we pray that this moment of faith of this woman would compel us, some for the first time, to come and cry out, have mercy on me. Lord, help me. Father, I pray for the believers in this room that it has challenged our faith and caused us to examine our own faith. Father, I pray that instead of saying, I need to do more works, it would cause us just to remind, I need to return back to the foot of Calvary for grace and mercy. Father, I pray in this place for all people to leave confessing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.